Thank you, Benjamin and worship team. You're fine, fine. Good morning, everyone. Glad to have you here today, especially if you're visiting with us, particularly supporting your friends who are dedicating themselves and the children to the Lord. We welcome you, and you're welcome here anytime. At this time, I'm going to ask our ushers if they would come. If you don't have a Bible this morning, we would love to loan you one, or you can keep it, but just raise your hand. And those of you that do have a Bible, if you'll turn in your Bibles to James chapter 3, that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And I want to mention a couple things real quick before we do that. First of all, I want to remind you that this evening we have a night of worship, prayer, and the Lord's Supper. So love to have you come out to that tonight. Unfortunately, my sister is having, we're having a surprise birthday party for her in Lancaster, so we'll be going out there. So I'm not trying to be a hypocrite, like, hey, why don't you come? I'm not coming. Um, but do pray, and hopefully many of you will come. We'd love to have you here to pray for our church. And then the other thing I want to mention is last week, Pastor John shared with us the servant response forms that we were passing out. We ran out of them, but basically, if you're visiting with us, this isn't for you. But we believe that a church is a community of followers of Christ, and Jesus didn't raise up a church just as a, like a consumer store that you just come and get, 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 but you also give and serve. And so we want to provide each person the opportunity to be involved in serving. So if you did not get one and you consider Riverstone your church, if you'd raise your hand, just take one of these, and there's so many different things, everything from setting up chairs to teaching, all kind of things, but be praying over that. If you'd like to fill that out, we'd love for you to drop them off at the uh, Welcome Center on the way out. Now, having said that, I want to invite you to pray with me. We're going to talk about something that's so incredibly important, and that is our tongue, our speech. But what we're basically doing is, you know, there's really kind of two types of people, religious and irreligious, right? Irreligious people could really care less about God. They're like, I don't really care. Religious people are people who are like, hey, I'd like to try to follow God and do what he says. But among that category of religious people, some of them are sincere and, and genuine, and others are what some people would call hypocrites. They're not really interested in truly practicing what they're learning. It's just, for whatever reason, they want to look religious. So for all of us, we have to sort out, if I claim to be religious, what does that mean? Okay, sometimes people say Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And that's true, because being a Christian is realizing that I need to be forgiven by Jesus who died on the cross, believing and inviting him to forgive me and be my Lord and Savior, and then growing. But it is also called religion. In James chapter 1, he says, if anyone thinks he's religious, this is what it looks like. So what we're basically saying here is, people who claim to be followers of Christ. Now, for some of you, the term born-again Christians, that might be unusual, but, but we didn't make that up. Jesus said that. He said, unless you're born again, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. So and if you don't know how to be born again, we'd be glad to show you from the Bible. But if, if you and I call ourselves born-again Christians, then the book of James, as we read and study the Bible together, is a, is a book that says, okay, this is what it looks like. Because to enter into a relationship with God in the Bible is by faith. It's not by performance. I don't go, Lord, I hope I did enough. I turn and, and I believe and I receive his promise of forgiveness. But then the Bible talks about living out your faith. And so litmus paper, you remember, it tests 
to put it in to test the pH. So James is going to go, all right, so if you call yourself a Christian, let's look at, as Pastor John mentioned last week, a passage that says, if you don't do any good works, if you don't help anybody, right? If you say you're a Christian and you have stuff and you have a Christian brother who needs and you don't share with him, he goes, what kind of faith is that? That's not real faith, right? So, so God is poking at some of you who your faith isn't real faith, it's just talk, right? You say you're a believer, but there's no evidence. But this morning, we're going to look at a passage that's going to address the concept of our speech and how our speech is a litmus test of our faith. And what James is going to teach us this morning is that if we don't learn to tame our tongues, our tongues are going to take us down. And taking us down can have a variety of means. It can cost you your job. It could cost you your marriage. It could cause your kids to turn away from you. And ultimately, the most desperate place that it takes us is we're going to see in James, it says it'll take you all the way to hell. And so it's a really important passage, and I have to put two disclaimers out when we talk about speech and the tongue. The first disclaimer is it will be very tempting to elbow someone else and go, boy, he was talking to you, okay? Or boy, I hope so-and-so hears this. Let that one go. This is not for what other people need to hear. This is for you and me personally. What's God saying to me? And then secondly, this is not meant to give you a weapon to go home and say to someone you love, see, didn't you listen? You're one of them hypocrites. Because if you do that, then you're doing the very thing that James says, that's not what the tongue is for. So having given that, I want to also mention something that might be new for some of you. The Bible claims to be the word of God. Now, you might not believe that at this point. But those of us who have come to believe that the Bible is the word of God, when we listen to the Bible, we don't just go, well, that's just somebody's opinion. We believe that this is God's truth. And we are told in the Bible to believe his words and to obey them. So as you hear what we're going to see in the Bible today, it's, it's important to understand that some passages of the Bible are not designed to make us feel good. Some people are like, ah, so you're just going to beat me up? And it's like, no, 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 not at all that. But God loves us just as we are as sinners, but too much to leave us that way. So after he forgives us, he then begins a process of changing us. But sometimes the Bible says the word of God will correct and reprove us and train us. So if this passage, and I think it will, strikes you in the heart and you feel some sense of guilt, like, oh, I shouldn't be that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because then God's inviting us to respond to his mercy. Let me forgive you and help you pursue a different course. So let's pray and then we'll look at these verses. Lord Jesus, thank you that the Bible is alive and powerful. And I'm thankful that there are many, many people that are coming to this church because they want to hear the Bible. They don't want to hear man's opinions. They want to listen to the word of God. I pray that you will Speak to all of us, visitors, regulars, all of us. I, as a pastor, need to hear this passage. So accomplish your work in Jesus' name, amen. Now, let me, let me give you a little bit of a setting. As James was writing to these early Christians, I think he was picking up something that was going on, and that is the leaders in some of these small assemblies were having conflict with one another, and it was probably rooted in pride, Who's in charge here? I'm the boss. Don't listen to them. Those people are stupid. And so James begins this passage about the tongue by addressing teachers. He goes, now listen, teachers. If you're a teacher, 
So, so at the outset, understand that this passage starts addressing teachers, but then it's the, 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 the whole passage is about the tongue, and basically whether you're a leader or not in a church, we all need to hear this. So let's look at the passage, follow along. The Bible says, give attention to the reading of Scripture and then teaching and exhorting. So we're going to read and study it, and then I'm going to teach and exhort you and me how to apply it. Verse 1, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren. Well, why not, James? Knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. I mean, we're going to mess up. If anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now James is going to give us three illustrations of how something little can have a profound influence. He says, now if we put the bit in the horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. Behold, ships also, though they are so great, driven by strong winds, they're still directed by a very small rudder, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue's a small part of the body, yet... It boasts of great things. Behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And by the way, the tongue is a fire. It's the very world of sin or iniquity. (coughs) The tongue is set among our members. That thing sitting in my mouth defiles the entire body. And ultimately, it sets on fire the course of my life and finally is set on fire by hell. Now James ironically says, man, we could tame everything but the tongue. For every species of beasts, birds, reptiles, creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. But no one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, produce olives, or a vine produce figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh. Wow. First thing I want you to see here is that James is teaching us that as leaders or wannabe leaders, we need to beware of the danger of the tongue. I want you to think about this. He says, let not many of you become teachers. Well, to a certain extent, All of us are teachers no matter what. If you're a Christian, the Bible says, go and make disciples and teach them to obey whatever I taught you. So to a certain extent, we're all teachers. If you're a parent, you're a teacher, right? But to aspire to the office of of teaching the Bible. Oh, thanks, Benjamin. To aspire to the office of teaching the Bible and being a spiritual leader, he says... Before you sign up for that, check your motives. Why do you want to be in leadership? If it's simply because you want power and influence and praise from men, if you just want people under you, I think James would say, work in a graveyard. 
But if you want to be a teacher or a leader because you want praise for men, bad idea. But I don't want you to misunderstand here. It's a good thing to want to be a leader. And I want to, I want to suggest here that some people will use this as a cop-out. They'll go, hey, you know, that's why I don't, I don't say nothing or do anything because that way I didn't do anything. Can't blame me. How's God going to hold me to a high judgment? I just kept my mouth shut. So I don't think he's saying here, don't want to be a leader. He's just saying, hey, beware. If, if, you, if you decide you want to step up and lead people, you have to really be careful because leaders use their, their, their speech to influence people. And so he says in verse 2, for we all stumble in many ways. Like they say, nobody's perfect, right? We stumble in many things that we do, but we particularly mess up in things that we say. Right? We could just talk all day about different ways we do that. In fact, James says, if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, if you never say the wrong thing at the wrong time or the wrong way, James says, you're basically perfect. You are able to, now he's going to use the word bridle to sort of set us up for where he's going. Bridle your tongue, okay? And I think we all will go, okay, so I mean, in fairness, yeah, I mean, I'm not perfect, right? And sometimes this is an avenue that I'll approach with people as I'm trying to persuade them why they need to become Christians or why they need to be saved. They'll go, well, I'm not a sinner. I don't use drugs. I haven't murdered anyone. I don't cheat on my wife. And I, and I try to invite them to think about their speech because the Bible says for every word that we say, we'll give an account to God. So sometimes when people curse in front of me, ooh, sorry, pastor, and I'll say to them, listen, you don't have to worry about me. I'm not your judge. But you need to think about what just came out of your mouth. You have to answer to God one day for that. And it gives us a different way of viewing our speech. Like, so God's watching what I say. I remember uh, one of my neighbors was in a Bible study with me, and um, he told me, he says, I'm not a sinner. And a few weeks later, we were in a conversation. He was angry about something, and he just let out the F-bomb. Not at me, thankfully, but he literally, like, we, we made eye contact, and he goes, oh, yeah, I guess I am a sinner, right? And so maybe for some of you, you've come here with a little too high of an estimate of your religiousness. Surely I'm good enough that God's going to let me into heaven. And, and, and I want to challenge you to rethink that. Do you really think based on every word that's come out of your mouth that you're ready to stand before God and go, here I am, let me in, as opposed to saying, God, have mercy, forgive me. So he starts with this thing. Don't, don't rush into leadership because of the dangers. But then he says this, I just want you to think about this little piece of flesh in your mouth, right? If your tongue was in a conversation with other members of your body, it would say, man, I can have more influence than any of you. So he's going to use three analogies of which I learned this week as I studied this. James did not invent this idea of comparing the tongue to a fire, a horse, or a ship. This was a common metaphor that Greeks used. So it wasn't like James was the first guy to think of it. But the Holy Spirit led him to use this simple metaphor to say, this little guy right here can have a tremendously powerful influence. And while it would be fun, and I'm going to in my applications talk about the positive things that this little tongue could do, the emphasis of this passage is the enormous damage 
that our tongues can do. So he goes, let me give you three examples of how little can have big results, especially the tongue. So let's look. He says, now if we put a bit, verse 3, into a horse's mouth so that they may obey us, we direct their entire body as well. And behold, the ships also. They had big ships back then with big masts and big sails. He says, think about these great ships that are driven by strong winds, but yet they're still directed by a very small rudder. Now, notice he says, wherever the inclination of the pilot desires, hopefully somebody's steering that ship, and he's, he's, he's leading us into that. He's going, this little, guy, this little guy directs our lives, but it's being steered by what's going on in here, your inclinations, your desires. And then he says, so also the tongue is, it's really a small part of the body. Now, the next phrase is interesting. He says, it boasts of great things. Now, I'm not sure what he means by that. He's obviously personifying the tongue itself, like, like my tongue could come out and start talking and say, hey, let me tell you how influential I am, right? Maybe, maybe that's what he's doing. He's simply saying, if, if all of our, if our eyeballs said, I'm more important because you can see the tongue would be like, nah, listen here. I can have more influence than a hundred eyeballs. So it might just personify, or he might say, as an example, the tongue is a bragger, which is just another example of the enormous sins that we have the potential to commit with our tongues. But then this third analogy, he goes, you know, Smokey Bear and the little, the little spark, or even Christians we sing, it only takes a spark to get a fire, right? And he's like, yeah. But he says, behold, how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. I mean, miles of land can be destroyed, wiped out. People can die because of a little spark or a little match. And you're like, yeah, I get that. But James is going, yeah, but do you get that? Do you see the analogy of the enormous damage that your tongue can cause? The wounds that a, a, a parent could put on a child? The, the, the wounds that, that that tongue could put into your marriage, the wounds and the, and, and the damage that, that even in, in larger circles can cause nations to go to war, right? Like the old analogy, loose lips sink ships. People who aren't, aren't willing to keep a secret, people who aren't willing to refrain and hold back from just blurting out whatever is on their mind. We talk about people having a filter. So, so, so James goes, I want you to stop and think the enormous damage. And some of you are going, think? You know, you're talk- now stop thinking this. You're, you're talking about my spouse. No, just think for yourself right now, okay? So then James says, so I want you to have a different perspective of how you think about the tongue, okay? For example... If I had, and we've all seen people do this, if I had a boa constrictor, right, which people do, and sometimes they get really long, and those snakes can crush and strangle people, but some people still put them in bed next to them or let them crawl all around their neck and all around their legs, and you're going, dude, do you not realize how dangerous that is, right? Like, hey, that's pretty neat, but, but if you had a pet rattlesnake in your house, would you just leave it in an open box for anybody to just walk by? Ooh, what was that? No, you would take enormous precautions because you would go, man, that thing's poison and deadly. 
And so that's how James wants to think of our tongues. Tongues are untamable. They're extremely dangerous. And if something's dangerous, then I need to take precaution, particularly when it's actually even deadly. Right? Just think about that. If I had something dangerous and deadly in my house, I'd have signs, I'd have walls, I'd have everything I could to keep people away from it. But James is going, well, just think about this guy right here. Are you managing that? Is there any caution tape around that? So look, look how he unfolds this. He says, for every species of beasts, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race. This is kind of a fun verse. These four categories are what's in Genesis 1 at creation. You know, the animal world, fish, birds. So, so as James talks about birds, beasts, reptiles, and creatures in the sea, he goes, one thing they have in common, mankind has been able to tame them to a certain extent, right? Now, you go, well, technically, they didn't have Jack Russells back then. I'm like, yeah, I know, I had one. They're untamable. But, but technically, this is really what, what explains our worldview of creation. We don't believe that we just were a bunch of little blobs of amoebas that just... The Bible says that God created man in his image, and when he put him on the earth, he said, have dominion over the earth. Who was he ruling over? Well, primarily it was over the creatures, right? It was Adam's job to name the animals and to subdue them and to bring them under the subjection of man who was put there by God. And he says, for the most part, we've done a good job of that. In fact, crazy as it is, people put their heads in lions' mouths, you know, and alligators and so forth. And for the most part, most of the time, but not always, um, we've been able to restrain that. But in a wordplay, he says, but no one, right? He says, they've been tamed by the human race. But literally, it's the same word. He goes, every species of animal has been tamed by the human species. But yet, the human species can't even tame this little animal. And the reason it can't tame it is because it's untamable. What do you mean by that, James? Well, he says, no one can tame the tongue because, first of all, look at verse 8. It's a restless evil. No, you know, James, did you have to add restless? Like, what do you think of when you think of a restless little boy? Right? He's not just, some, some little kids might be naughty, but if they're restless and naughty, now, and, 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 I'm, and I get it, there are, there are you know, um, things like ADD and things. I'm not talking about that, but just think, your tongue's just looking for an opportunity. Just, just leave the door open a little bit, like a, like a naughty dog. They just, I just want to get out and do some trouble, right? So think about, my tongue is restless, right? It's not calmly going, oh, please, don't provoke me. I'm a man of peace. It's, it's a restless evil. And then he says this, it's full of deadly poison, like, that's graphic, right? If I had something in my house that was full of deadly poison, I would view it in a very careful way. In fact, I would prefer to extract it from my home, wouldn't you? But that's not an option. Jesus doesn't say, so because of that, everybody should cut their tongue off, right? But I think what he is telling us is, wow, you need to think more carefully about the, the dangers that the, the tongue 
can bring forth. Look at verse 9. I think what he's going to do here is he's going to point out to us that the tongue is really dangerous because it sets the course of our lives. Look at verse 6. The tongue is the world of iniquity. The very, the very world of sin. It's a cesspool. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body. It's, it's the, the stain agent. And then he says this. The tongue actually sets on fire the course of our life. It, it's often relational problems and damage starts with something that I said I either didn't say it the right way or the right time or I should have never said it. And that sets in motion this, this fire that could be gossip that's spreading or whatever. But ultimately, notice how he, he says, and ultimately it's set on fire by hell. What does he mean by that? At the end of the day, my tongue is set on fire by hell. So if the course of my life is being directed by an evil tongue, the outcome of my life will be that my tongue will one day be on fire. We're actually going to see a passage in the Bible that gives an example of a man who's in hell going, cool my tongue, I'm in agony in this fire. So we have to go, wow, this, this thing needs to be addressed. I need to think about that. But lest we, we come up short and just say, so come on now, so... Let's try harder to talk better. That's not going to work. So what I'm not going to suggest here, so from now on, count to 10 before you talk. That's not the solution. Because the tongue is the symptom, but the heart is the problem. You see, Jesus said, out of the mouth comes what fills the heart. And so... Some people have said this about people when they're drunk and they say really inappropriate things. They said, nothing came out of their mouth that wasn't already in their heart. It's just under the influence of alcohol, sometimes people's filter is removed and they just say what's ruminating in their heart. And Jesus said, out of the heart proceeds murders and thefts and impurities and even foolishness. And so what James is going to do is he's going to say, listen, so what I want you to think about when, when, when we think about taming the tongue, is that the solution is you have to have a changed heart. God is going to have to change my heart if I'm going to change my tongue. And he gives an analogy from, from the idea of, of sources. And it's kind of funny here because I thought about a word that we use for, for our mouths. He says, beginning in verse 9, with our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. The word mouth there in Greek is hole. From the same hole. So the mouth is the pie hole, right? We go, close your pie hole, right? But the reality is, he goes, think of how preposterous it is. Verse 9, when he says, with it, with it we bless our Lord and Father. See, I was mistaken here when I, when I first studied this. I thought it meant just like, I went to church and I sang, I praise you, Jesus. And then I went home, and he says, and with it we curse men. So on my way home, someone cut me off. So I went, I praise you, Jesus, then on my way home. That moron, right? And that's an application, but I think he's going further here. Blessing the Lord was a very, very important part of Hebrew worship. In the early church, 
they would stand and they would bless the Lord. And there are many, many examples in the Old Testament of blessing the Lord. Blessed are, are you, O Lord, right? And the spiritual leaders were the ones who were to lead that blessing, right? So they would stand up and they would invite people, bless the Lord. So he goes, and I think he's thinking here particularly of teachers. You stand and you bless the Lord, right? But then he says, but then with your tongue you curse men. Now the word curse here is not like stupid. This was actually a term that was used of a formal curse that you would wish upon people. And in the Hebrew Semitic culture, it was very, very serious. Like if you pronounced a curse on someone, you were asking God to damn them to hell, right? So, so you're not just even like if someone were to say to their friend, well, why don't you just go to AT, right, double hockey sticks? I mean, it's even more severe than that. You're actually asking God and pronouncing on them, I want you to destroy them and put them in this place. You're going, what? A guy gets, oh, let's bless the Lord. Oh, may God kill you. Well, what's the big deal? He says, think about that person that you just pronounced it on. He says, that person's been made in the likeness of God. What? Yeah, do some, some reverse thinking. When God put people on the earth, he made us in his image and likeness. We were designed to reflect and represent and worship and glorify him. And something has gone terribly wrong on planet Earth. When Adam and Eve sinned, that image of God has been badly damaged. But it is not destroyed, okay? If I drove past a, a terrible car wreck where the car was twisted and burnt, I could still tell it's a car. I wouldn't say, I wonder what happened to that elephant. I could see some vestiges of a car. And no matter how twisted Adolf Hitler was, there's still vestiges of the image of God in even the most disgusting or deformed or depraved person. And this also helps to understand why at times people will say this, I know non-Christians who are nicer than Christians. Well, there's a couple things to think about there. Number one, people who don't have anything to do with God can still be nice because they're made in the image of God. They still have the capacity to reflect some sense of God's image. Secondly, as C.S. Lewis once said, most of the people who become Christians become Christians because they know that they're messed up. Jesus said, I didn't come to call self-righteous people, but sinners. You don't qualify for Christ's aid if you don't think you need it. I'm a good person. But when we come to realize I do need it, I am messed up and I've done and said stupid things, Lewis says, why should we expect that a person who suddenly turns to the Lord to be forgiven and changed would act so blamelessly in their speech? Now, I want to be careful with that. I, I like what he's saying, right? If somebody says, well, I know non-Christians that are better than Christians. Well, I would say, well, hopefully these ones that are Christians are fairly new and they're in process. And of course, unbelievers can somewhat behave like God because they're made in his image. But if you've been a Christian for a long time, and you're still a jerk, right? That is a problem of which James is addressing here. And we need to be honest that if that's what kind of a husband or wife or employee or neighbor or kid or parent or family member, I need to come to grips with that. And by the way, 
we do want to recognize that we operate in grace. So here's the thing. We're all in recovery here, right? The Bible actually says in Colossians 3, when you and I become Christians, we are being renewed into the image of Jesus. You don't just become a Christian and now you're like, wow, all I do is go around going, blessed are you. You know, come to me. I'm just like Jesus. It's a process of which we fall and we stumble, but we get up and we ask forgiveness. So, so the idea here would be to say, hey, listen, God's desire is not to just get more people into this church so they can raise their hand and say, I'm religious. But he's taking sinners and transforming them from the heart and changing them so that the way they interact with their family and friends, wow, I'm seeing, I'm seeing something different about them. And in addition to that, for, for those who will really go home after this sermon and tell their family, I'm going to change, please be gracious to them. Don't beat them beyond recognition the first time they relapse. Don't go, see, it was all a bunch of hypocrisy. You didn't change one bit, right? But recognize that our hearts are before God, and we need to ask, am I really sincerely wanting to change? If so, God needs to change my heart, not just, I need to try harder. So let's talk about how this will look in our lives. Number one, I want you to pray about being a leader, but check your motives and count the cost. Not a bad thing to want to be a leader. In fact, for some of you men, I want to challenge you to even consider becoming an elder. Look at this verse. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it's a, ooh, it's a fine work he desires to do, right? Some are like, I don't know whether I should be a leader. Do you want to? No, I'd rather pluck my eyes out and be drawn and quartered. Well, then don't. But why not say, God, maybe I could be a teacher. Maybe I could be a leader in some realm. I'm not worthy, and I know I'll have a stricter judgment. Because I want to challenge you to think about this. Some people take that as a cop-out. No, no, I don't want to put a bumper sticker that I'm a Christian, because then I've got to act like a Christian, right? Don't take that as a cop-out. I don't want to be a leader, because I don't want stricter judgment. Because ultimately, if God has gifted you to lead and minister, if you don't use your gifts, he's still going to hold you accountable. Remember the parable of the one guy who goes, I was afraid, so I just hid my stuff. And the master says, you wicked slave, you should, you should have done what, what you should have done. So pray about being a leader. And if you are a leader, don't come and resign because, oh, I've had bad motives. But if, if you're not right, get right. Okay? Secondly, and this is the most important, I think for all of us, we need to confess and repent of specific sins of the tongue. And if necessary, make things right with those you sinned against. Right? It's not enough to just go, dear God, I'm sorry, but I'm not telling my spouse that. Oh, no, if you knew what they did to me, right? No. Repentance is part of what it means to be a Christian. And you don't just repent the day you get saved and then never repent after that. It's ongoing repentance. And sometimes God pokes us and he says, hey, man, or hey, miss, or hey, child. So look at Isaiah. Isaiah, as he was confronted with a vision of God, when he saw the Lord, he said, woe is me, for I am ruined. And he didn't say, because I was... I cheated on my wife, or I kicked the dog. He said, I ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips. In other words, as he thought about the way he had been talking, he realized, wow, my tongue has exposed my heart. But look at the mercy of God. When he confessed his sins of speech, the Lord rushes to him with, with an angel taking tongs, and metaphorically it says, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, your sin is forgiven. Wouldn't that be cool to say, Lord, today 
I want to confess my sins of speech, ask you to cleanse my heart, <clears throat> forgive me, and then send me out in a different way, which for some of you means the first thing I got to do is apologize to the people that I've been wounding with my tongue. But then the danger here is just to say, well, then I'm not saying nothing to nobody because then I can't mess up. That's not helpful, nor is it biblical. The Bible says if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's a sin. So rather than simply say, I'm not going to talk anymore, ask God, change my heart so much that I begin to use my tongue because while it has enormous potential for damage, it has incredible potential for good. James says in Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome words proceed from your mouth. Okay? That, that Greek word means rotten garbage. Don't let garbage come out of your mouth. So if you've been gossiping about people, that's sin and, and God's saying, ask forgiveness and stop that. If you've been critical, if you've been bursting out with anger, no, just stop it. That's sin, even as a parent. Outbursts of anger aren't just your personality. The Bible says in Galatians 5, an outburst of anger is a deed of the flesh. It's listed as other, other sins. Deceit, lying. If you have a propensity toward coarse joking, and sexual comments. That's sin. If, if you're just foolish and silly, Jesus said, out of the mouth proceeds foolishness. So I just have to say, Lord, I don't want to let this garbage come out of my mouth. But he says, instead, words that are good for edification according to the need of the moment, you could actually use your words to build people up, to help people. It will give grace to those who hear. So we don't have to go out here going, oh no, my dumb tongue. Like, God, I want to have a change of the course of my life. I'm going to start to use my speech for good. And I'm going to need you to help me. Look at these beautiful examples in Proverbs. There's one who speaks rash, like the thrust of a sword. But the, the tongue of the wise brings healing. You could heal somebody. You could heal a relationship. You could, you could take someone who's ready to destroy their life and completely change the course of their life because you took the time to say something to them. That was encouraging. A soothing tongue is a tree of life. When I get sunburned, ooh, put that on. Oh, that witch hazel, that's soothing. Is your tongue soothing to people or stabbing? How about this? Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Your tongue could be used by God to bring somebody eternal life. Your tongue could lead somebody to end their life. Wow. And then even Proverbs 31 woman. It's not enough to just be hardworking and taking care of your kids if you're mean to them all the time, right? It says she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. So even how we correct our children, you could be right away, say wrong in how you say it. I'm not saying don't correct your children. Actually, one of the ways you can use your tongue for good is to admonish your brother in Christ. To love someone enough to, to, to speak to them. The Bible says wounds from a friend are better than flattery from an enemy. So you're like, I'm not doing that. Well, then why not? And how about this? Your tongue has a tremendous opportunity to be used to tell someone about Jesus. That's awesome, right? Oh, I just witnessed by my life. Use your life and your tongue. Well, what if they get mad? What if they don't like me? Well, what if Jesus took that attitude? I'm not saying anything because people get mad. You don't have to go out preaching and wagging your tongue and arguing with people. Just, hey, would you like to come to church? I'd love to invite you to a Bible study. Hey, 
you know, sometime let's talk about faith. I want to share with you. And of course not everybody's going to go, please tell me, right? But say, God, here's my tongue. Oh, you don't understand my personality. God will give you power through the Holy Spirit to be a witness. So last two, realize that the only way to change your tongue is to have God change your heart. So again, that's really important. I don't want anybody to go out of here going, I'm just going to try harder. It just will not work. Jesus said, the good man out of his good treasure brings forth what is good. The evil man out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. By your words you will be justified, by your words will be condemned. See, Jesus often said this. A, a good tree brings out good fruit. What's, what's, what's in your heart, if your heart is changed by God's grace, then gradually the fruit's going to come out. Good speech consistent, loving, gentle, not perfect, but progressing, okay? So ask yourself, is your issue, well, I just need a tune-up, or do you need a new heart? Because trying harder and being more religious isn't going to cut it. It's giving your life to Christ and saying, God, I'm a sinner, and I need you to change me. That's what being born again is all about. I get a new life. I'm a new creation. But if you are a Christian, sometimes even though you have a new heart and a new life and a new nature, and you're a new creature in Christ. You may have been reverting back to your old ways. And, and today's a day where God's going, come on back now. Repent and be cleansed and, and yield your tongue to me as an instrument of righteousness. I'm going to use you today. I'm going to use you this week for the glory of God. But lastly, if you don't want your tongue to take the heat, turn to the Lord with all your heart. Now, what do I mean by take the heat? Well, taking the heat sometimes means you set it, now you're going to have to make your bed and lie in it because you said it. But I'm not talking about that heat. I'm talking about the worst heat when James says, ultimately your tongue is set on fire by hell. How ironic that Jesus one day said this. There was a guy who died and went to hell. And while he was in hell, he cried out and said, have mercy on me, send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue for I am in agony in these flames. So when people say, oh, I don't believe in hell, that's a, just a, there's, I'm going, well, listen, if you don't believe in hell, then don't say you believe in Jesus, because Jesus believed in hell, and he talked about it as a real place, and he doesn't want anybody to go there. He said, I didn't come to destroy, but to save. He didn't come to judge, but to rescue us. Jesus took hell on the cross so that you and I don't have to go to hell. But if you want that to count for you, then you have to turn to the Lord with your heart. Surrender your will and say, Lord Jesus, I do believe in you that you died and rose again. I want to be saved. And then you're not going to keep that a secret. The Bible says, confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, and you will be saved. Don't worry about what the person next to you think. Do you believe that? In fact, I want to spare you some trouble. Like it or not, one day that tongue inside your mouth and my mouth is going to confess Jesus as Lord. Philippians chapter 2 says, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. But those who don't do it now, before he comes back, he's going to say to them, depart from me into everlasting fire. It could have been so different. I loved you and I died for you. Will you come to Jesus now? and gladly give them your tongue and your heart and, and purpose to raise your kids and to love your wife. You're like, Pastor, you're convicting me. I, I don't want to. I want the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts. None of us are perfect, 
but repentance and surrender. And think about the potential of every tongue on fire for God and what the Lord could do through us as we just go, wow, Lord, you spoke to me. So let's pray together. If you're a Christian already, but the Lord has spoken to you about some changes, then seal the deal. Ask forgiveness. Tell him what your plan is. Maybe you need to go apologize to somebody. And be sure to ask for him to help you. Don't try to do it alone. The Holy Spirit has to change us. If you're not a Christian this morning, there's probably a battle going on in your heart. Some of you are afraid and unsure and you're uncomfortable, but Jesus loves you and, and he's speaking to you and he's saying, come, come to me, believe in me. I will completely forgive you. I died for your sins. I will transform your heart and change your speech. Tell Jesus right now, Lord, I do believe. I do want to follow you. I am willing to confess that you are my Lord and my Savior. Lord, I want to pray for everyone who made that decision today, that they would talk to their friends, talk to their loved ones, talk to their family members, talk to someone. I urge you, if you made that decision or you want to talk about it, talk to someone and say, I want to follow Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for our time together. I'll be the first one in line to say, forgive me, Lord. I want to speak better to my wife, my kids, my friends. When I speak about people, I want to, I want to do only those things that are appropriate and, and loving and biblical. Thank you for your mercy, Jesus. Thank you that you're changing us. Thank you for our tongue, that we can use it for good. Light our hearts on fire and send us out with tongues of, of angels, tongues that can bless the world. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. All right, have a great day. If you're on the setup team, we need to leave the chairs in the middle for tonight, but the chairs on the outside, they need to be moved. Thank you.